Welcome to Food Farms and Chefs radio show, where we highlight everyone from the top industry leaders to startups and farmers that make it all possible with Chef Jean Blom and photojournalist Amaris Pollock. Hi, and welcome to Food Farms and Chefs. I have the honor of introducing Chef Joe Brown, who is the executive chef for <laughs> for the Harvest Cafe and Abundant Harvest Catering in Lindenwald, New Jersey. Chef, thank you for joining us on the show. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. No problem. Now, um, just from doing like some research on you, you have quite the history uh, as far as, you know, appearing on different TV shows and whatnot. So I'm going to like, you know, leave it to you to do a little bit of bragging rights um, as far as some of the things that you've actually appeared on. Oh, well, I probably <laughs> forgot half of it. <laughs> well, first, let me tell you, I've been in the industry for over 43 years. Uh, actually since 1979. So I think it's probably about 43 years exactly. Um, I've been, I had two restaurants. Um, one was in Cherry Hill, one was in Haddonfield. I'm presently now the culinary director, executive chef at Bethany Baptist Church for Abundant Harvest Catering and Harvest Cafe. Um, I've done the Food Network, early stages of the Food Network, if anybody remembers uh, Ready, Set, Cook. Um, I did uh, National Geographic did a piece on me. Um, Home Matters did a piece on me. Uh, I've done all the local, some national news, quite a few different radio stations, and been in a ton of publications all across the country. Uh, I've actually done a, a broadcast uh, from here to a friend of mine who's a chef in Africa. Oh, wow. Um, so, yeah, I've kind of got some miles on my feet. <laughs> Now, I'm going to jump you back to uh, your younger years because you grew up inside a household where there was 10 of you. Absolutely. I mean, what was that like growing up with so many, you know, kids running around and like your mother was, you know, cooking, cooking and you were apparently at her at her side learning how to do do all of the things that she was doing because, you, you know, that's kind of probably where you established your initial love of the culinary field. Well, a lot of the Southern influences comes from my mother. My mother's from Tennessee. I'm the youngest of 10. And I can honestly tell you, I never remember a day in our house that something was not cooking on the stove. Uh, me growing up, there was always what we call one pot cooking. So my mother did one pot and it fed 10 of us. Consequently, all of us were in the house at the same time because I'm the youngest and I'm 61. So my oldest is 70 something. Um <laughs> So, yes, growing up, there was always food being cooked, uh, a lot of Southern influences. Like I said, my mother's from Tennessee. Um, and I remember growing up watching the Galloping Gourmet, um, if anybody's old enough to remember that. Um, I, I love that. Graham Kerr, right? <laughs> you, you took me back. I We're similar age and, you know, similar amount of years in the industry. And, oh, what a, what a wonderful thing. Yes. Love the show. Love the show. And, and honestly, I really, my first um, introduction to actually selling food, quote unquote, if anybody can remember this one, back uh, when I grew up in Willingboro, they we used to have Kool-Aid stands because they were doing construction a lot. And I remember selling Kool-Aid one summer. And back then, Kool-Aid didn't have, just have sugar in it. So it was like a bit red dye pack and you had to go home, wait till your mother went to the shop, shop, shop supermarket and you would go rate all of her sugar to make this sweetened Kool-Aid. 
Well, one summer they came up with uh, Kool-Aid that was pre-sweetened. And I said, wow, I could charge more for my Kool-Aid now. <laughs> and that was my first introduction to selling food. Uh, well, I mean, that's that's not that much of a far cry from lemonade stands. So, you I know, that. <laughs> <laughs> I, no, I, I don't want to I don't want to go into depth, but, you know, I had very similar experiences where everybody was doing Kool-Aid. But when they were building the only construction of all as young kids, my friends and I, we would go and steal our father's beer and sell it <laughs> workers during lunch. Yeah. Always an entrepreneur, that gene of ours. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that at all. So um, moving on through your young years, you went to um, high school, obviously, as you had mentioned, Willingboro, and um, graduated. Then you worked at Pirates Inn. Oh, yes. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, I started at the Pirates Inn actually as a dishwasher. Uh, and the Pirate Inn was a seafood restaurant. If anybody knows anything about it, it was in Mount Laurel. Uh, we were one of probably the busier restaurants around. Uh, Saturday nights, we were doing 1,500 to 2,000 covers. Um, started there as a dishwasher. Uh, started working during the day as a dishwasher. And the young lady that was doing sandwiches at that time uh, decided that uh, she was going to not come into work that day. And the executive chef called me one day because he got tired of it and said, Come on over and do sandwiches. Uh, needless to say, she never got her job back. <laughs> and ever so uh, so inventive and like reinventing yourself and just it seems like you're a very driven individual. You ended up going to uh, what is now the restaurant school, Walnut College mm-hmm. um, in Philadelphia and graduating from there. From there, you also, also, you know, ended up working at another uh, remarkable New Jersey landmark. No pun intended. Landmark. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and um, it, which kind of resonated for you with what? Because I don't want to I don't want to dilute it. Like, I want you to be able to explain. So it, that was my first time. Well, working at the Pirates Inn, I was the first African-American cook to ever cook in that kitchen. Um, over time, I was going to school uh, and I had to get a second job. And somebody that worked with me at the Pirate Ten worked there, too. Mm. Uh, they said they needed help. They asked me to come over and work part time with them. Um, it was my, my first time actually working with the first African-American executive chef. Um, he was a very well polished, which was so amazing to me because he was military. Uh, he was so well polished and organized uh, and did just about everything and anything. Now, if you knew anything about the Landmark Inn, we had a banquet facility that had 800-seat capacity with multiple business rooms. Uh, this man was running this with maybe four cooks. Uh, two of them really had no experience at all. So me coming in and seeing this, I just jumped in. and was just like natural. Um, he, he taught me a lot about discipline, uh, being professional, because uh, back when you worked at the Pirates Inn, you know, you got done work, you smelled like seafood and you looked like seafood. <laughs> uh, he was always immaculately clean, never got himself dirty, never wore a chef jacket, always wear a chef shirt. Hmm. It was amazing to me. And the shirt was always tucked in like he was military. But he knew his stuff. And I learned a lot. Which is a, a very positive experience. So I and I know moving forward, you you opened up not one, but two restaurants um in the mm-hmm. New Jersey area Mil- and 
forgive me if I say this incorrectly, but Melange? Melange. Okay. Melange, Melange Cafe that was on Chapel Avenue in Cherry Hill. Um, and Melange, the word Melange means mixture. And the mixture was the two cuisines, Louisiana and Italian. Yeah. And then later on down the line, we opened up uh, Melange at Haddonfield. And, um, you know, not getting deeply into that, you unfortunately had to close your doors in 2010. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, from there, where did it, what happened to you afterwards? Is that when you wrote your first book? Oh, no. The first book was written uh, while I had the Chapel Avenue location, Cherry Hill. Um, I had a publicist. I had three publicists. <laughs> the final one was the best one. Um but she encouraged me because I had so many recipes that I had compiled over this. I, at that time, I was probably working maybe 15 years in the business. Um, and she said, you need to put some of the stuff in paper. Uh, so I started doing it. It took me about two and a half years just to finish the first book, because unlike most people don't understand, when you write a cookbook, you have to make it uh, so that the home person can use the recipe. So you take it from this big production that you do in commercial kitchens to how they're going to use it in a at home kitchen. A lot of them don't have gas. A lot of them don't have this, that, and the other thing. So uh, that was a challenge in the first book. Uh, the second book came uh, after I closed. Uh, I started actually writing it during COVID. When COVID started, it was time to just kind of reflect back on uh, the 18 years that I was in business. Um, and it was just, there was so much story behind the closing of the Haddonfield location. Uh, and media wanted to know, I was not ready to even talk about it. Um, I went and worked in corporate for a little while after the restaurant closed, um, did some healthcare time and found that that was definitely not my um, cup of tea. No pun intended. (laughs) No, Um, (laughs) I totally understand that. Yeah. (laughs) So I, uh, I, I worked, started working on it and as soon as COVID started, um, and things just started coming together because I had a little bit clearer mind because I had more time, obviously, um, and had a few people read it, uh, looked at it and said, man, this could be um, this could be a short film. <laughs> um, it was very emotional for some people uh, because there was such an attachment, you know, being one of very few African-American owned restaurants in South Jersey and Philadelphia. You know, I was one of the premier ones and to suddenly close like I did. People wanted to know. I felt study they needed to know the story. Yeah. And I mean, you you came up in the heyday of like when all of the celebrity chefs were starting to like come out, you know, and TV shows were like, oh, we we like we like to highlight the chefs. So, you know, you came out went during that time. So I'm sure that's probably included in the, the book as well. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Some of the stories that are in there, um, it's it's eye opening. I think any young chef, any young person that wants to either go into business or open up a restaurant um, needs to really think twice before they do it. And I suggest they do read the book uh, because it gives you an eye opening experience. I was in that celebrity chef kind of uh, arena. I never really kind of labeled myself like that, but people had a tendency to do that. Um, I didn't ever want to be that. I just wanted to get my story out there. Yeah. Um, and now, speaking of stories, you also have a second book that is uh, just out. <laughs> so, do you want to uh, let our listeners know what that book is and what that what you've you know put into that with your heart and soul? That's the book that I started uh, 
at the end of COVID, I mean, at the beginning of COVID, it's called Melange, the story, the recipes, the faith. So there's stories in there from the beginning of the first restaurant opening up until the closure of the second restaurant. Um, some of the stories can be controversial. Um, the book was actually at one point, 250 pages. Uh, my wife said, nope, can't put that in there. Nope, can't put that in there. So she kept taking stories out that I really wanted to put out there. But, you know, probably from a legal point of view, it was probably the best thing to do. <laughs> um, <but laughs> the stories and then the recipes. The recipes are a combination of different things that people have asked me to cook for them, uh, things that I've done in the restaurant. Uh, there's some vegan recipes in there, some basic learning how to make soups and stocks and and learning how to open up oysters uh, and learning how to cook a whole uh, rib roast. Um, and then there's vinaigrettes in there. There's a whole bunch of different, about 75 different recipes with the stories. And each recipe either follows or begins the story of some of the incidents that happened along the way. I understand. And I mean, I... I actually read, you know, just with your bio, what was written, um, I was, I'm highly interested in reading the rest of your story, like in a longer version. So I, I look forward to picking up both of your books and, you know, reading a little bit more about you and about your, your history and your journey into this path of uh, the culinary industry. So uh, moving forward on that, you currently are, as I had mentioned before, the executive chef um, at... Harvest Cafe and Abundant Harvest Catering. So what does that entail? And, you know, because it is it interests me that it's out of a uh, a church, a Baptist church. So <laughs> tell, tell us a little bit about that, because that is extra, that's that's um, that's definitely unique. Well, without giving away too much that's in the book, um. It's, it's a mega church. Uh, they have over 25,000 congregation. Um, I was asked to come and straighten out some things that were going on within the kitchen. Uh, it's a full commercial kitchen. It's not, you know, the Sunday afternoon fried chicken, you know, church food. It's, it's a full-blown online menu, almost like you're going to a restaurant. Um, it's interesting because I only have one, one other employee um, and he's my sous chef. All the other people that come in to work are all volunteers. So I do, uh, we do in, in-house catering and we have uh, a banquet hall that seats 350. Um, and then we have multiple events that go on throughout the whole year. Uh, and I train all the volunteers how to serve everything in the front of the house. I teach them how to cook in the back of the house. I teach them how to clean in the back of the house and all the dishes and everything. And it's all top end everything. So it's it's rewarding to me because it gives me a chance to give back and pass some knowledge on. And hopefully I inspire somebody to want to go into the business. And and I I think that resonates with me the most is the fact that when I was reading reading about um about you and redoing some research. I know that it res- it meant a lot for you to mentor, like not only when you were mentor, but mentored, but um, but I feel like you like to mentor, you know, people who are are learning the business and have interest in it. Absolutely, I think what's more important is that over the years I've been very fortunate to meet a lot of different people, 
whether it's celebrity chefs, uh, politicians and everything. And the one thing I've always noticed that they always, always, always gave me great knowledge to carry on and to pass on. Um, I've always wanted to teach. I've actually was involved with the Camden County College, uh, helping them write their culinary curriculum for their back to school program. Uh, so teaching is always in my blood. Um, and as long as I can do that and they get something out of it, you know, I'm, I think I'm in the right place. I just hope that um, that people who want to open up a restaurant will consider reading the book uh, and understand the journey because there are challenges in this restaurant business uh, or any business, especially now. But the restaurant business is probably one of the hardest businesses you can work in probably in the world. Yeah. So for anybody who is actually interested, are they able to order food online from where? Absolutely. You, okay. And can they, you know, come in uh, to the establishment and, you know, during your working hours and, and sit down and have a meal? So right now the church is still in COVID protocols. Um, the uh, senior pastors and bishop of the church is very, very cautious because the congregation is an older congregation. So, uh, they're just slowly, slowly opening it back up to the public. Is that feedback from me? Yeah, I think we're good, though. <laughs> um, so right now, it's only curbside pickup. Uh, eventually, probably within the next six months, we should be open back up inside. And we're open uh, different difficult days because we're open Wednesday, 11 to 7, Friday, 11 to 7, Saturday and Sunday from 11 to 3. And where can people find you and find the food online? Okay, so the first thing they can do is go to Bethany Baptist Church. Um, or I'm sorry, go to go to Bethany Baptist Church. And when you open up their website, there's a, right down the bottom, it says Harvest Cafe Curbside. If you click on that, it takes you right into um, the menu. And you can order the time you want to pick it up. Uh, the menu changes daily. Um, they can also hit me up on Facebook. Just Google my name, Chef Joe Brown, on Facebook, um, and they can find me on Instagram, and I can send them a link to the menu also. That is wonderful. And uh, before we let you go, what is one of your favorite meals that you create um, for the menu? Well, right now we have the crab meat cheesecake that's on the menu. And people are like, crab meat cheesecake? They think it's sweet. I said, no, no, it's something People have traveled <laughs> from many cities to get this. It's a uh, pecan crusted, uh, dense, uh, made with Creole cream cheese and jumbo lump crab meat. Uh, it's baked into a wedge uh, and it's topped with um, caramelized mushrooms and onions and jumbo lump crab meat and has a touch of cream on it. And it's served with a nice uh, arugula salad with a uh, lemon vinaigrette. People go crazy for it. Well, that sounds absolutely wonderful. So, Chef Joe, thank you so much for joining us on Food Farms and Chefs. And um, I hope to have you on again. And you are close enough to me that it, it will be easy enough for me to come and get some of your food. Just remember, after you eat, you might have to walk home. <laughs> <laughs> sounds good. Thank you so much for joining us thank on you. Food Farms and Chefs. Thank you. Yes, have a great day. You. You're welcome. <laughs> All right. We will be back right after this short. And I am honored to have Brennan Foxman, who is the owner and founder of WalkWorks. Brennan, thank you for joining us on Food Farms and Chefs. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. 
No problem. Um, so you have some exciting news to announce. And, you know, our listeners obviously have an extensive palette because that's why they listen. What <laughs> what what is your big announcement for, for our listeners to, to hear? Yeah, so we just opened our newest uh, flagship location uh, in Fishtown, 1429 Marlboro Street. Uh, it's our 10th location. And uh, we opened about, I think we just marked three weeks, so almost a month. Um, and uh, it's been a tremendous, tremendous success. We're really, really excited about it. I'm super excited about it, too. Um, I love Fishtown, and it's such a, a, a gorgeous area. It has, you know, an energy about it that most people, you know, like if you if you live in the area, if you live in Philadelphia and visit, you know, Philadelphia, you know about Fishtown and you know it's, you know, been gentrified. You know that it's been coming up in the restaurant um industry like we've been seeing more and more uh businesses that open up so it's amazing that you're able to find a space and find a place in fishtown because it's yet another amazing restaurant that people can go to and and have delicious food i appreciate it yeah we've actually been looking at the same spot for years um it's turned over to a few different restaurants my wife and i have lived in the neighborhood for almost eight years now and um We've, just, we've been eyeing up that corner at the perfect location for, for what we do. And um, you're right. Since we've lived here, the whole neighborhood has just, you know, exploded with like, I'd say some of the top restaurants in the country. Um, and I think one of the main reasons why they came out originally was because you could do not only like a bigger format um, restaurant, but you could take some risks in Fishtown. Um, and, and development was um, a little different. It's not like opening a restaurant in the middle of Center City. So um, a lot of chefs took their opportunity and developed some like more unique concepts in Fishtown. And a lot of them were amazing and crazy successful. And that led to more, uh, you know, amazing restaurants, food and beverage. And we've just seen an opportunity in the neighborhood for us to do, excuse me, um, our, our type of uh, our type of concept, which is focused much more on people on the go, people who are very um, specific about, uh, their health and what they're putting in their bodies and uh, they're, they're price sensitive. They may have time restrictions, people leaving the gym, people, uh, you know, on their lunch break. Um, and so the neighborhood has really exploded, but we definitely saw an opportunity for us to service everyone who's now living in this community um, with like a really, really different, uh, healthy and delicious alternative. Um, so we're very, very fortunate and happy that we were able to find the perfect spot for us here. Now, we haven't actually gotten into, for anybody who uh, doesn't know what you've created, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about what it is that you offer on your menu? And I'm sure that Gene is probably chomping at the bit afterwards to ask a question. <laughs> sure. So um, we have a, uh, we, we call ourselves um, Farm to Fork Stir Fry. We have a uh, totally customizable menu. Um, that's very, it's a very fusion menu. So we pull flavors, um, from all over the place, all different types of noodles, rice dishes. Um, really we focus and specialize on, um, vegetarian, vegan options and specifically spicy. Um, we, we make all of our sauces in house. Um, we make all of our products in house, but, um, specifically we make uh, a handful of sauces that are spicy that use uh, a chili oil that we make. Um, which is really, really complex and has a lot of depth and um, a lot of heat. And 
you know, if you if you're someone who likes spicy, you kind of get the idea. Spicy is very addicting. <laughs> um, so we have a very loyal following, uh, particularly amongst people who are either trying to recreate um, some very specific type of flavor uh, that they used to love, and, and you know, different types of format restaurants that they've gone to since they were kids, um, or people who you know want these type of flavors, but they want them. Um, you know, let's say in a, in a, in a very, very healthy format, um, specifically, you know, for example, people will order um, like a super vegetable bowl with uh, like a happy family super vegetable bowl, which is um, chicken, steak, shrimp, and all vegetables. It ends up being like over a, p- a pound and a few ounces of vegetables and protein. Um, and that's it. We walk it um, with about an ounce of oil and we put about two ounces of sauce. Um, and you know, the sauce obviously has, um, all different types of stuff, oil, sugar, whatever. But really the, the main idea is that we, we use the wok in a very traditional way and we achieve, um, extremely high heat and we're able to sear in all kinds of textures and nutrients, um, that you can't get without cooking in a wok. Um, so we're able to deliver all kinds of uh, textures and flavors that customers really can't get elsewhere uh, in the format that they want. So that that's basically our specialty, and uh, we've built you know quite a quite a following all over um, all over the area for people who sort of come to us for that. Well, chef, you know, you opened up or at a perfect time you know, at the beginning of the Chinese New Year celebration. People were out looking about. Um, you know, in Chinatown is such a crazy place this time of year and stuff like that. But you're so convenient. You know, having now you have that super large menu there. What are the hottest selling items on your menu? So um, most of the uh, most of our big items, uh, honestly, I don't mean to to deflect. It, it depends on the neighborhood that we're in. So, for example, in Fishtown, um, we sell about three or four times the amount of tofu than we sell, uh, for example, in Montgomery County. Um, and other stores, we sell a lot more steak than we sell in Fishtown. So, we, depending on the location, we have like totally different best sellers, which I think is pretty funny. Um, and, and does explain sort of like the neighborhoods that we go into that our food um, it's very amenable to all different types of customers and what their needs are and definitely what their uh, flavor profiles are. So in general, um, we have dishes um, like chili garlic chicken. Um, we have dishes like a, we call it a bam bam chicken. It's a sort of spicy rich um, with a lot of umami. It's a, a chicken stir fry that has thin um, egg stir fry noodles, um, you know, similar to like an angel hair, but a little, a little harder. Um, and we have some, what you know, our variations on, uh, you know, what we would call Americanized fusion dishes. We do like a pad you, we do a drunken noodle, we do a, uh, general so stir fry. Um, so we, we definitely do not take ourselves too seriously. <laughs> um, and we, we try to recreate flavors that people love. Um, and do it in a way where uh, you feel amazing and, and, and um, you, you get a lot, a lot of nutrients um, from these flavors that you're very comfortable with. So most of our most popular dishes are spicy <laughs> and, have our, and have chili oil in them um, because that's, that's sort of the basis of a lot of our following. They, they love spicy food. 
one of the things that I've eaten in some of your establishments before, and I truly like, you know, I kind of grew up in the, the suburbs, you know, Lower Bucks County, and, you know, you're, besides one or two, you know, the one or two uh, freestanding Asian restaurants back then, you know, your experience became like the mall food court and, and yeah. you know, places that were there. And while I guess in essence that was like that, that might be the foundation for your company because it's you know, food for the masses, but your flavors are so much more than that. Your dishes are so much more than that. Like you've taken that, that concept of, you know, okay, walk cuisine were made right there you know, served up fresh, but, you know, really added new dimensions to it. Um, you know, was that the plan from the get-go, or, you know, did this kind of happen, you know, like we started at this and then did this? I really appreciate you saying that. Um, I did not plan to have, like, lots of complex uh, flavors and dishes when we first started. I... Um, Basically, I lived in Amsterdam for a year, and um, this is sort of like the quick backstory. I lived in Amsterdam for a year. Um, they have a lot of walk as fast food in Amsterdam. Um, it, you know, we could have a whole podcast talking about that, um, you know, where that comes from and why. But um, I was obsessed with it. There were a few concepts that I loved. I was able to eat um, like this. You know, they prepared it fresh in, let's say, less than two minutes. I was able to, you know, eat noodles on my bike while I was driving between, riding between places. Um, and I was just kind of blown away. Um, so when I came back uh, here, I originally tried to franchise the, the concept that I loved. They sort of laughed at me because I was a kid and I had no experience or backing. Um, and obviously they were right. <laughs> um, and uh, so I, I kind of went about, uh, you know, I, I went about a plan to make something that I thought was going to be similar, but much better, uh, and definitely much more geared towards, um, American consumers, um, which are very specific in a lot of different ways than European customers. So when we first started, um, we were trying to recreate a lot of these, um, a lot of these flavors. And I was on a huge learning curve. I had no classical training, no culinary training, I had no, no expertise. Um, and I learned on the fly. I, I tried to get, you know, let's, let's call it real life walk training. Uh, but that world was a little closed off to me, which is, you know, totally reasonable. Um, so a lot of it was just trial and error and utilizing resources, you know, both in our own store and tinkering and working on things, but also over time taking in a lot of um, like amazing, uh, you know, people who've worked on cookbooks and recipes and specifically walk um, to learn all different types of new techniques and new flavor profiles and stuff. So it's been an evolution over time um, from something that was sort of just very simple and, and basic and, and trying to, um, you know, appeal to a lot of different people to honing in a, a handful of flavors that are really, really complex. I think that, um, you know, if you go to one of our stores and you get a $12, um, let's say uh, chili garlic chicken bowl or something. And, you know, maybe you get it in 10 minutes. Um, I, I think hopefully the experience is at least is for a lot of our customers that you're going to be really blown away with um, how complex and how rich and, and the sort of deep profile of what we're doing in that type of format, um, especially compared to 
you know, what we would call our competition, which is fast, other fast casual restaurants and, and companies like that. Well, you do an amazing job with exactly that. I mean, you, you really have, have taken up some people, you know, in, who may not have a background. I spent a lot of my time in, in Chinatown and learning cuisine. But your flavors, while you don't, you know, strive to, to be that, your flavors do give people an indication of, of what things should be. So when they go and try it, they can go to a menu in Chinatown or they can try something. And at least have a little bit more of an understanding of it. And that's so remarkable for you know, the number of restaurants, the volume, the style, everything you do. So you know, kudos to you on that. I really appreciate that. That means a lot to me. Thank you so much. So um, I have a question for you because I, I keep seeing it on your menu, but what is tiger rice? So um, this is this is. Uh, like I guess one of those funny behind the scenes things. Um, it, it, it doesn't. There's no, there's no derivative of why ti- why we use tiger. Um, we we I used to um, we used to have an oyster sauce and a um, chili oil on our menu uh, when we first started. And my wife actually used to request from me um, when I would come home that I bring home a certain type of dish and mix the two sauces. And that, and and then, you know, it was really, really good. And that became the basis for what is now our chili garlic sauce and our honey garlic sauce, which are by far our most popular dishes. Um, And we went even further down the rabbit hole um, and we took one of our sauces, mixed it with a few others, and we made what we call a tiger sauce, um, which is... Uh, it's basically all the flavor profiles in one sauce. So it is, um, it's savory, it's sweet, uh, it's rich, it has a lot of umami, um, it's definitely complex, um, it's definitely a little spicy. Um, it's, it's, it's all in one. Um, so just like she had a dish that was her favorite that ended up uh, making its way not only on the menu but becoming a bestseller, um, we did the same thing with my dish because uh, uh, about two years ago, I started making kind of like a fried rice when I would leave uh, one of our stores and I would mix a bunch of sauces together. And that was what I made. And I loved it. I thought it was the best thing we had. And then I sort of was like, well, wait a minute. It, it's not really cool that I think the best thing that we have is something that is not even on the menu that nobody can get. So we ended up putting it on the menu and yeah, it's been very, very popular, um, especially at our new store. It's uh it's been going like crazy. So that's really great. Sometimes, um, sometimes the customers tell you, uh, what they want and you have no idea you get it totally wrong. And then sometimes you know what you like and, um, customers come along to that too. So it, we, we definitely over the 10 years we've been doing this, uh, we've had a little mix of both and that uh, tiger sauce is something that I loved and I was making for myself. And I, I wanted everyone to be able to like have what I thought was the best dish and, uh, so far, it's been very, very popular. Well, thank you so much for joining us on Food Farms and Chefs. Can you let our listeners know where they can find you online so that they can order some of the, you know, go in person, order some of the delicious foods that you have? Sure. Um, and thank you so much for having me. Um, w- you can go to our website, walkworks.com, um, and basically choose whether you want to order pickup or delivery and where you live, and it'll take you to the right place. Um, or if you're in, you know, basically Philadelphia, mostly all of Philadelphia, if you go on Uber Eats, 
DoorDash or Grubhub and you search for Walkworks, you, sh- you should be able to find us almost everywhere in Philadelphia. There's some pockets. Um, but the best place to go is either our Instagram at Walkworks uh, to follow for updates or to go to our website, walkworks.com. Thank you so much. And I look forward to visiting your Fishtown location and seeing the larger space and um, some of the spicy, flavorful foods. All right. Well, I really appreciate you guys having me on. Thank you so much. Thank you, Chef. At this time, it is such a great honor to introduce not only a friend of food forms and chefs, one of the city's truly unique culinary talents, but also a friend of mine, uh, Chef William Becker, Bill Beck from Beck's Cajun Cafe in Wedding Terminal Market. Chef, welcome to Food Farms and Chefs. Great pleasure to have you. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be there. So there's some exciting things going on in the world of Beck's and Wedding Terminal Market. Uh, but before yes. we get into this grand expansion and everything that's going on, the store hit listeners who may not know foolishly then uh, how long Bex has been in Reading Terminal Market and kind of how you got your start? Well, um, I've been in the Reading Terminal Market about 14 years now. Uh, we had another place at uh, 30th Street, but that didn't make it through uh, COVID. Um, and we do Cajun Creole foods from scratch. Um, my love of cooking kind of took a turn into those wonderful one pot sort of meals. That is a gumbo, an etouffee, a jambalaya. Um, and in the eighties, the, uh, big chefs back then were, uh, Paul Perdone, Justin Wilson, you know, they were to, uh, that era, what, um, you know, uh, Emeril Lagasse or, uh, David Rosengarten was to, uh, the decade that, uh, came after that. So that was my big influence. And while I did, you know, classic French or Asian or Mediterranean, I always kept coming back to Cajun Creole. Uh, my other great love is, uh, Latin foods and Latin culture. So, um, given that Cajun Creole is a blend of French, Italian, Spanish, and, uh, Haitian, uh, cooking, it's kind of a, a natural. Well, so you just went through a, a great thing for running Turbo Market and a really great thing for the city. You just went through an expansion there back to the Turbo. Tell our listeners about that. Okay. Uh, we just went from one postage stamp to about two or three. Uh, we added seating. Uh, another kitchen. We have two kitchens, one for turnout for the meals that you'll get there or to go. And then the, the new kitchen uh, that we got during the expansion is for production only, making more gumbos, more etouffees, snapper soup, mac and cheese balls. We're really not expanding our menu anymore, uh, but we're just adding specials. So we will do, uh, you know, grilled on with uh, brie and homemade sauerkraut. We'll do a blackened mahi. Uh, we'll do crawfish bisque. You know, it just gives us more ability to do more different and fun things within the Cajun Creole world. Now, believe it or not, we've also been doing this expansion over the last year. 
Uh, we never clo- we, we closed a short period of time when we integrated the two uh, spaces together, but we've been working on it incrementally over the last year. And uh, we just had our grand opening uh, with a ribbon cutting and all uh, last week. Yes, congratulations on that. I apologize. Thank you. I was not able to get down for that, but uh, I'm looking well, forward to it. We'll you in next weekend then. As you know, it is one of my go-tos when I walk into any terminal market for anything. Mm-hmm. i got to make a trip over to Baxter. It can be multiple different things. I mean, you know, love going for, you know, sandwiches and I love going for your gumbos, your alligator gumbo is just amazing. You have so much going on there, but you know, the one thing that is a go-to no matter how much I eat while I'm there is I walk away with, you know, a to-go order for your beignets. Truly, and I've said this before, your beignets are the best beignets in America, in my opinion, outside of New Orleans. I can't give you New Orleans, too, but I will give you outside of New Orleans. I love Cajun Creole Southern cuisine, and no one does them like you. So, you know, tell oh, us a little bit about the love that you put into them to get them that way. It's a, well, it's a yeast-driven product, so it's a product that you have to add melted butter to, condensed milk, sugar, flour, and you just keep kneading it till you get the right texture. It's a very zen-like pro- process. It's almost like guys that uh, do a lot with pizza dough can just kind of tell when it's there, when it's exactly what it should be. It's just the way it reacts in your hand and separates, and then it rises. You know, as you leave a fingerprint in it, it just kind of puffs up. And it has to rise twice, too. And one of the other secrets, I probably shouldn't say this because now I'm creating more competition for myself, but when you have them in your uh, fry later cooking, you aerate them. The... Um, the effects of the hot and then the cold make them expand a little more, make them a little puffier. So um, cooking can be a very Zen-like process in the first place. I mean, just ask your mom or your grandmom. They'll tell you. They just know. It's something you feel in your soul and your heart, and you know when it's done and it's ready and it's just perfect. Well, you know, I I have always uh, believed that. I, I certainly preach that in the world that, you know, as a culinary instructor, I could teach anybody to cook, but you can only be great at it if it's in your heart. If you, you know, mm-hmm. this is what you want. It's that Zen, that, that feel, that touch, that knowledge. You know, connects you to something different. Uh, and, and you certainly pull that off, and you teach your staff to pull that off. You know, one other thing that that goes mm-hmm. unmentioned so often, and and you know, I. I don't know if I ever mentioned this to you. I, I may have texted you something in the, in the past about this, but when you go to Bex and you're busy and it's in the ready terminal market and everything like that, I cannot say enough about the quality of the people that work for you, the service that work for you, always big smiles, helpful, ask questions. You know, you never, and, and I find this so rarely because everybody gets stressed or whatever, and somebody will have a little bit mm-hmm. like, no, I can't be bothered. And I've never experienced that with your staff. They're always, hey, how can we help you? And, you know, if something, if they're busy, they're, they're really honest, like it's going to be a couple minutes or, you know, whatever the circumstance. So, mm-hmm. you know, 
like from your perspective, you're a food guy. So, you know, how did you get to the point where, you know, all your staff is, is just so helpful and welcoming? Well, at this point, a lot of people have been there since day one. Our retention uh, is looking really good, even after the pandemic. It was a little iffy, but we still have people that have been there five, six, 10, 8, 14 years. 14 years is since day one. That's our, our manager. So I have to give uh, kudos to uh, Deb and my daughter, Kimber, who uh, have been there since day one, since we opened the place. Um, and, you know, everybody that works for me gets it. They get cooking good food. They love food in the first place where they wouldn't be there because it's not something you do because it's a job. Or you do it because you love it. It's, it's, it's in your bones. Um, and you know, my, it's a family business. My wife worked there for the first uh, four years until she was pregnant with our uh, second child, too. So my wife, Rita, has been instrumental in the, the business, even when she's not there, just giving me the time it takes to continue to nurture the business. And uh, my little kids, they don't know what they're sacrificing so daddy can uh, be at work. But it, it's really a, a family business. And, you know, the old uh, adage, do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. Not only do I feel that way, but most of the people that work for us feel that way, too. So that's our secret. Not so so with your expansion now, are you also doing increased catering or, you know, other types of, uh, you know, like, delivery services or corporate types of well, things. Is that all kind of smell? Yeah. Well, we do uh, catering for uh, Beck's brand, you know, your uh, jambalayas, your red beans and rice, which that's one of my favorites. I've had that every day for breakfast for like the last week. Um, so we do the, the Beck's catering. Obviously we do it for corporate or we do it for uh, weddings or anniversaries. And we're coming up to our season actually, because it's, uh, Mardi Gras season that started uh, January 6th with the Epiphany. So, yeah, we do uh, a lot of uh, catering. And, of course, we do the, the king cakes. But uh, it's all Cajun uh, Creole, all from scratch. And, um, yeah, with the new kitchen, too, that gives us the ability to do a little more catering than we have in the past and a little more intricate, detailed uh, catering, too. So... For listeners coming down, if somebody was going to come down to Baxit, we had the flower show coming up just a couple yes. months, and obviously with Mardi Gras going on, you know, what are you going to suggest to our listeners that they try from Bax? What's the kind of, besides the beignets, which just mm-hmm. take in order to go, you won't regret it, what do you suggest that people try? Yeah. Well, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, and he was coming down with his uh, wife and maybe one of the kids. So I said, okay, here's what you do. You you share things. So I told him he should uh, start out with a bowl of snapper soup for he and his wife to share, uh, followed by a uh, gator gumbo over white rice. And then they should have a um, fried shrimp uh, po' boy. And then each of them should get their own dessert and share that. But a bread pudding with a vanilla whiskey sauce and then an order of beignets. That, that's that's oh, yeah. my go-to meal right there. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I don't even count the beignets as dessert. That's just something you take with you and eat afterwards because your bread pudding is just a basic, you know, like, yeah. you're going to get the dessert. The beignets are not dessert. They go on top of it. <laughs> well, you know, okay, if you come in for a brunch, then you start with beignets, chicory coffee, and then move on. Right. It's right. a hard place to dine, but that's what I look for. You know, I go into a place like that. It's like, okay. I want to try as much as I can. I need to stretch this out to about an hour and a half and get a little bit of everything. So I, that's what I, I recommend. Can, I, I have no problems with that. I'm very good at doing things like that. <laughs> We're it in the middle a lot of Mardi Gras. Coming up on, on, you know, really the highlight of Mardi Gras season when everybody knows as, you know, Fat Tuesday and, and everything mm-hmm. like that. I know that one of the things you're doing is to help support MANA, one of the great organizations in the city of Philadelphia. So tell us about your collaboration with MANA and what you're doing to uh, help raise awareness and finances for them. Okay. Well, we started uh, our partnership with them uh, last Wednesday on the 1st. We are giving uh, 10% of all proceeds towards MANA and their great cause for all the uh, king cakes we sell between now and uh, Fat Tuesday. Actually, the, the week of uh, Mardi Gras, and it's on uh, Mardi Gras itself is on February 21st. Um, and, you know, they're nice big uh, cakes, braided sweet dough with uh, raisins and cinnamon, and then they're topped with... Um, icing and powdered sugars you've got uh, purple gold and green and the great thing about that is that it represents something too so it's the dessert that teaches you something as you eat it the uh, purple represents justice uh, the gold represents power and the green represents faith and the uh, mardi gras season starts with the uh, epiphany on January 6th, it's the baptism of uh, Jesus, and then uh, goes all the way up to Fat Tuesday, which is the last night of eating rich, decadent, fatty foods before you start Ash Wednesday the next day and uh, the fasting season that leads up to uh, Easter on April, I think it's 9th this year. It's a little early. The dates always change a little. Mardi Gras, Easter, they all change. Yes, and so, you know, years ago, there was one or two places in the city of Philadelphia, you know, that the Cafe Dole, one or two places, but, you know, there's not a lot of Cajun Creole, and there's no one, in, in my opinion, at your level doing what you do on a day in, day out. But I am still the biggest fan of a sandwich you make, uh, your trade wreck, which, oh, yeah. you know, is kind of the cheesesteak meets even greater decadence. So tell our listeners about, you know, the train wreck, which is, I think I could argue Mm -hmm. one of the top three sandwiches in the city of Philadelphia. Well, the train wreck was something that uh, I came up with just prior to opening um, in 09 at Reading Terminal. It was a Philadelphia cheesesteak meets a po' boy. Uh, and what we did was we took the products that we had in-house so we could cross-utilize them, being salami from the mufalada, andouille sausage from the gumbo. Uh, we had uh, sharp-aged provolone from the uh, – no, wait, we don't use sharp-aged provolone anymore. We started that. It's just a little too strong. So, you know, we just started with products we had in-house, and then we had to make our own olive salad. 
um, you know, nod to uh, Central uh, Grocery. So, um, you know, they took her the muffalata, then we took ingredients from that and put uh, some of it in the uh, train wreck. But the train wreck is steak meat, andouille sausage, salami, caramelized onions on a French baguette with American cheese and a little Creole mayo. And we affectionately say it's what a cheesesteak wants to be when it grows up. Yeah, Got every I, bit of the I, edge I, of I'm a cheesesteak. go there, you know. Yeah, I know. With the king of cheesesteaks <laughs> and the kings of cheesesteaks in the city of Philadelphia. So I'm going to keep a safe distance from, from touching upon that. But it is an absolutely amazing sandwich. Um, you know, that I recommend anybody try. Uh, I would not tell your cardiologist if you're going there, but, you know, <laughs> yeah, my doctor knows I eat too many train wrecks. Insurance policy when it's all coming down the backs. But, so as we get into, you know, Mardi Gras season and business is picking up and anything, uh, you know, you're doing some other specials and things on the menu too. Can you fill us in on all that? Sure. Uh, like I said, we while we expanded the business, we didn't want to add to the menu necessarily, but we wanted to have the creativity and fun of adding specials. And now that we have a bigger uh, space, we can. Uh, we'll do uh, a French toast with a, a new topping, uh, such as uh, cinnamon and uh, caramel glazed apples, bananas foster uh, for uh, Mardi Gras. We'll be featuring that. And then we can do a new and different uh, po'boys. Uh, we do a short rib po'boy with uh, pickled onions. Uh, we do a blackened mahi. Uh, we do a crawfish bisque. So it opens up a lot more um, you know, space and time and prep area to do more specials. And that's what really, you know, interests us. We've had the same menu since day one, and there's not a turkey on it. Um, everything sells incredibly well. Um, yeah, so the only thing for us to do, we couldn't improve on the regular menu, so we just decided to throw in uh, some unique specials that are, are fun and different. And uh, you know, give somebody the uh, you know reason to come back two or three times a week. Well, Bill, thank you so much for joining us on Food Farms and Chefs. Tell our listeners thank you for inviting uh, us. where you're at in Reading Terminal Market, where they can find you online as well, and find out about all the wonderful things you're doing. Okay, well, uh, check us out at BexCajunCafe.com uh, on the internet, and in Reading Terminal, we are. Back and towards the middle, uh, next to Flying Monkey and uh, the Olive Oil Place. So I think it's uh, C8, between 8 and 9 on Avenue C, something like that. But just ask anybody when you come in there or look at the directionals as you come in the door. We've been there forever. Everyone knows us. We're the, we're the friendly stand there. Saying hi to everybody, waving, offering samples. <laughs> That's that is correct. Yep. Jeff, thank you. That's Always up. a pleasure to talk to you. Hopefully I'll see you soon. Oh, thank you, Gene. I hope to see you soon, too. And you can find Gene Blum at... IBFoodie2 or Gene Blum on social media, or you can email me directly at IBFOODIE, the number two, at yahoo.com. And you can find me at ARPOLICUS at... Yeah, uh, 
at gmail.com or arpolicus at across all social media platforms. And you can always tune in also to find us Food Farms and Chefs or Food Farms and Chefs. Happy Tuesday, everyone. <laughs>